What's going on, listeners? Welcome to the latest episode of Can I Kick It FC, your number one podcast for all black history, especially on this weekend, which not only happens to be Juneteenth, which is now a federal holiday, so congrats to all of you guys today off, but also it is our one-year anniversary. That's right. It's been one year since we have started Can I Kick It FC, and today we have decided to bring on a guest that in our first season we interviewed, but now he's doing the complete full circle, not only as a media tour. Um, it's Mr. Donald Juan. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. I'm honored to be on the one-year anniversary episode. And we're talking about one of my favorite players. I know he's one of your favorite players. Uh, so it's great to be back on. Yes, man. Yes. So, listeners, we've been dropping a couple of hints on Twitter. By the way, if you don't follow us, pause the episode for like five seconds. Follow us on Twitter at Can I Kick It FC. That's C-I-K-I-F-C. Find us on Twitter. Make sure to follow us. Um, yeah, man, we are having you on not only because you are a Real Madrid fan, you are also well, you wrote an article on the guy that we're doing this episode on, who is Mr. Claude McAlealy. Yep. And I got to say, for all right, so normally when I sit back and do research on a player, I have like a preconceived notion of what to expect. But I have to say, like, Cobb McAlealy's career really is, it can really be summed up as the quote of, why are you trying to paint a car gold and you're not having an engine? Like, he really was the engine in almost everything that he played, but he gets the least amount of recognition. Yeah, well, I even equate it even further, right? Like, we're sitting here on the internet there's a lot of things that go into the production and all the stuff of your show, the show that I do, <laughs> but someone's got to pay the electric bill. He's the man that pays the electric bill. No one yeah. cares about the person who pays the electric bill, but he's the reason why the lights are on. That's, that's Cloud McAlealy for you. He pays the bills on the 1st and the 15th of every month. On the 1st, <laughs> yeah, at 12 a.m. <laughs> he makes sure they are paid and good. So let's go ahead and let's dive on into it, man, because I feel like this show is going to be filled with a lot of not what ifs, but like a breakdown of who, why he's so important to the culture. So first thing I really thought about Kyle McAlealy is that I thought he was born in France. Obviously, he wasn't. He <laughs> was born in Zaire, which is now known as DR Congo. And his name, which is kind of cool to me, McAlealy means noise and I hope I say this right, Lingala? Lingala? Lingala, Lingala, yeah. Lingala, okay. See, yeah. that's why I brought you on the show. You're the expert. <laughs> <laughs> but his father also played for the DR Congo and also in the third division of Belgium, which, full circle moment, he also coached, Claude McAlean himself coached in Belgium for Eupen. So many crossovers in this episode is about to happen. I uh -huh. can feel it already forming. Um, so really, let's just go on and start off with his time and Nantes were pretty much a nonce French football. I feel like in the early nineties was like a powerhouse that nobody talks about anymore. Cause when you have Marte winning the Champions League, even though they pretty much paid everyone off for it, Nantes is winning what the league on and getting to the semifinals of the Champions League. Mm -hmm. Why was he so important in that team? And it just kind of is this the beginnings of the mock? Makalele role, as we like to say it, or was he just an integral piece of this team? I think he was an integral piece, and really, we'll talk about how the term the Makalele role came to be, right? But 
it wasn't like he changed his game throughout his career. He just be, figured out he, he's he's such a cerebral athlete. He was able to figure out exactly what the team needed and provide exactly that. If they needed defense, he would give you defense. If you needed someone to be a little bit creative on offense to kind of, you know, field, let the stars go, he would do that. And and then sometimes you just need a guy who just held the ball and had possession and allowed the the stars, quote unquote, to thrive. And he did that well too. So what he did, starting with Knotts and even you know throughout his career, he just literally would just look at a team and go, oh, we need this. I can do that. And would just be able to do it with perfection. See, that's one of the things, man. It's so weird how you're talking about Drew because that's essentially like, like we always say, football is a very simple game. You know, mm-hmm. it's very rarely that you're winning games with 11 superstars. Like, you need people to do the quote unquote dirty work for you. And that's why it seemed like he kind of just to sell that. Like, he knew, like, all right, I'm not going to score a whole bunch of goals. I'm not going to have the beautiful assist. So let me just sit a little bit back deeper and pretty much just do my role and be the best at it. But he wouldn't even do it like, you know, there's, there's, People who do the dirty work, right? They're the you know, like the Jermaine Joneses of the world, right? They're yeah. they're coming at you, you know, Nigel the Young. They're like coming at you, they're kicking you in the face and get the yellow card a game, and they're like, cool. They're the enforcers. He wasn't that. He wasn't the guy that was gonna get in anyone's face, but just just behind the scenes, that guy that's just like behind the scenes, just the puppet master, making sure all the strings were in place, making sure everyone was where they were supposed to be. So when he and he could see that, he could see a play develop. And when that pass goes through and, you know, some people are like, oh, he can only, he only pass like three or four, four yards a pass. That's all he'd do. Then he'd do that one pass that would cut through eight defenders to a gliding, you know, winger that's going to, going on his way un, unimpeded to the goal. And then you look back at him and he just kind of like, kind of gives you a little salute. Like, yep. Told y'all that was what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So his um, former manager announced John Claude Sudea pretty much summed it up perfectly. Like he stopped trying to dribble and pass and he just, instead of trying to prevent, instead of trying to create scoring opportunities, he prevented others from doing it. That was pretty much like his whole entire role. And another quote that kind of caught my attention while we were both looking at this was like, so he was recruited to play at Knox in I think December 1991, roughly around this year I was born. That makes me feel old. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but the non-sporting director at the time pretty much confessed that when he discovered Makalele at Brest, he was sure that he was the next ML Petit. And for those who don't know, like Petit was a one-man, I wouldn't even say like a one-man wrecking crew in midfield, but he was almost every team that he played in, he was the integral piece of that team. Right? Mm-hmm. So you're kind of already seeing what Nas is looking at for what he they want him to be while he was at not like you said he's won a league one got to champions league final and in my thought i really thought for the longest he was part of that 98 france world cup winning squad actually he wasn't and the reason why is because he moved to marseille in hopes of i classify it in hopes of him wanting to be part of a bigger name team but when he joined Marseille for, like, I think, one year, like the team was hardly any good. They finished, kind of slumped their way into fourth place. And he missed getting called into the 98 World Cup team. 
and it was like right after they had that string of that run where they were just the dominant team in France. They had like he comes, he's like, I'm about to be part of a juggernaut, and then they fall off a cliff and his name's not on the you know on the roster for the World Cup. And especially I know it hurt for him because that was the World Cup. Of course they won it, but it was in France. So the, the ability to represent your national team is one thing, but to do it in the World Cup in your home country and not get that call because you made them, you know, not necessarily a mistake, but you went to a team that was supposed to be all the way at the top and they just crash off of a cliff during that during the worst possible time. I know that motivated him for for future games. Oh yeah, it had to because you're thinking like it kind of it sucks because you're seeing all of these guys that you're growing up with. And granted, he wasn't at these big name popular clubs back at this time. It was like what Juve, AC Milan, uh, Arsenal, man. You know, he wasn't at the big name club, but mm-hmm. you're at the biggest club in France, and you're thinking like, all right, well, even though we had a bad year, I still expect for myself to at least get a call up. The fact that that doesn't even happen, it's kind of just like. It's hard to compare because it's like, yeah, France won the World Cup on one hand, but you're also like, it feels weird that he's not a part of it. And when you go look at the rest right. of his international career, like, he misses out on the 2000 Euros. He's about to retire from international football, but then they call him up for, they call him Zinedine Zanon. I forgot it was one other person. Back for 2006, they get to the final. Zinedine Zanon has the headbutt. And he misses out on a World Cup title. And you're like, for a player <laughs> like so that. So unlucky. Yeah, so unlucky. And the crazy thing is, you you think, like, for a player like that, you would think he would have something on his international record. He would be part of these bigger teams. Because you just assume, like, for a player that he has an own position name after, you would think, like, okay, well, he must have like a World Cup or, you know, a Euro says they were nothing and nothing, you know? And there's a couple of things, right? One, you think about the 98 team, the 2000 team. And usually when someone of that stature doesn't make a team, you're like, okay, well, he definitely should be on this team. But for those, you say, okay, well, which guy would you take off? And the answer is like, you'd be looking at roster, you'd go, and maybe. And you couldn't really come up with a name because every name on that list is a legend. So, like, it's just another – they have 24 legends, and he was the one left off. So that was the unlucky part. But also, it shows something that France kept – like, he kept saying, well, I mean, I guess you don't need me anymore. I'm going to retire. And France is like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. We need you for this competition. Why don't you come back for this? And they would convince him time and time again to come back and come back and come back. And he would just say, ah. Oh, I think that was cool, but I'm going to retire again. They'd be like, wait, wait, wait. Before you do that, we have this other thing we want to qualify for. We we need you for it. That was his whole career. It's like he would miss these big moments, but because he missed the big moments, they knew that they needed him for these the following big moments. And so they would try to bring him back and bring him back and bring him back. So it's just weird. How, like on the international level, he had probably the weirdest career as someone who has literally a role named after him. Right. And that's – once again, so we did a whole episode breaking down the 2018 French World Cup team. If you haven't listened to it, trust me, listen to it. It's a very good episode. It's two parts. But French always has this history of leaving off like big name players and seemingly doing well in tournaments. But when they call in big name players, they seem to crash out and burn into a bunch of 
pastries <laughs> at big name tournaments. Like you, you look at you know ninety eight World Cup. Yeah, it's big name stars, but the only real like global person at that time you could say is probably Zinedine Zidane. Mm-hmm. Then you look at two thousand ten, where you had Nicholas Anelka, Terry Henry's in his prime, um, Patrice Evra. You had all these big name guys, and they kind of just nosedive. I don't know what it is about France, but France seems like their team. Like they operate better when there's not like a big ego person or egos within the team. Yeah, they have. To, I mean, I mean, even look at the team, the current team that's in Euros right now. That is one where, like, according to the cycle, there are a bunch of you know, bunch of big stars on that team, and so far they're doing all right. I mean, they've only played one match so far, but people are sitting there thinking, "Is this the is this the team that?" does the implosion because it seems like like you said it's like a cycle every like 10 years or so there's something that blows up in camp or outside of camp and it just messes the whole thing up it's always about to happen always about to happen but let's get (laughs) back to makalele um so he makes a transfer move to celta vigo once again didn't even know this man played in celta vigo Mm -hmm. but so you wrote an excellent article on charges right jesse about how you pretty much Refused, <laughs> refused to uh, play the Zelda Vigo anymore because he was like, "All right, Real Madrid's here. I'm gone, guys. Like, accept it. I'm not gonna play here. Like, what is this all about?" <laughs> yeah, it. it I I kind of remember when this happened in, back in the day, and it was kind of what you see now, right? Where some teams, like you know, Messi, for example, will be like, "Hey, I'm leaving Barcelona. I'm gonna go to you know, insert team," and the team that has his rights are like, but but no, you can't leave. You're already here. And the other team is like, I mean, we got your we got your number, we got your locker, come on over. And it's just a big stalemate. And in this case, Real Madrid won because Real Madrid could literally pay Celta whatever they wanted. And he ended up just going to Real Madrid. But this is where I think he came into becoming the most underrated player in that generation of soccer just across the board the most underrated player because his time at real madrid is really interesting and in how he was used and how he was eventually how he eventually left the club um and became this otherworldly legend that we know him today yeah so while he's at real madrid and by the way <laughs> i'm gonna give another shout out ESPN, so for those who don't know, ESPN just got the rights to La Liga. And they have like a little three-part documentary on um, the Galacticos, which by the way is something that I've always heard about, but I've never really like understood what happened, like behind the scenes footage of it. And they do a good job of kind of giving you what happened and why this team was you know, it was kind of like the Lakers after the final championship, the final three-peat, where the team just died like it was just like all right we're at the apex what else do we do from here we won everything and steve McManaman, i feel like has i don't know if steve McManaman and claude mccallaley are like best friends or if steve McManaman is just like a lover of claude mccallaley but every time he talks about his time in reopening he always talks about how he was the glue that held everyone together he was the trigger one on the field like and like you said before, like he was the most important and yet the least appreciated at the club because 
you look at the wage bill, like Perez put all his money into Zinedine Zidane, uh, Figo, Ronaldo. And Claude McAlele is making like, I think, I don't know if this is true or not, but he was, I think he was making like a fourth of what they were making. Mm-hmm. It was something that like, but remember at the time, you know, Zidane and Figo, Ronaldo, and then later on Beckham were making more than anybody in football. Like, like Zidane could probably, I think, you know, at some point he, his salary was bigger than most rosters you know, salaries combined. Mm-hmm. So they were making buku money. They're making money that is so stupid that, you know, they, they, they could, you know, their tax bill was bigger than some people's salaries for the whole year. And McLeod was down like, you know, middle of the pack. And it's because Perez, when he came in and, and this is the same, if you guys are out there, it's the same flow that uncle flow that is still at Real Madrid. Um, but when he came in, he wanted the big flashy signings. He wanted, to trot out the world's best stars, the Galacticos. He wanted, it was like the Beatles. He wanted that. And, you know, when you're talking about the Beatles, no one's talking about Ringo, right? But Ringo was still a Beatle in the sense, <laughs> right? So that's that's how low he thought of McAlelly. And McAlelly saw that immediately. He was like, hey, if you don't need me, just like, just like he said in a lot of these places, if you don't need me, I'll just be on my merry way and someone will take me. But when it came down to it, the Galacticos were always put forward as the stars of the team. The guys who were the glues in the, you know, the, the Lego pieces to make the set. They were never put forward by that because that's not what he wanted. That's not, it was, that was not his vision. It still isn't. And so I think when it comes to Makalele, he was the guy that, put everything together. He was the guy. He, if you think about a, a, a close uh, a close comparison to today's game, it's N'Golo Kante. But N'Golo Kante is way more revered and more celebrated than McAlele was. But he I draws a lot to of tell you. From I just want to tell you, me and you were thinking the same thing because I was literally going to say, like, he remind, like, N'Golo Kante is probably the closest person that represents mm-hmm. him. But the and I will say this, I think the reason why N'Golo Conte is so loved by everyone is not only, well, Le- Leicester is not, because Leicester and Nantes winning their leagues is kind of comparable. It's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why N'Golo Conte gets so much more love is because of, one, he's in the era of social media, so everyone's talking about him. But then also, like, that World Cup title. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's a different thing to have that on your CV when you say, I am a World Cup winner versus I played in a World Cup final, you know? Yeah, but, but even that, right? Like, with social media, the N'Golo Kante song that comes out, like, that came out on social media. It, it was the players who could go on social media and be like, hey, when, when we win this thing, know that this guy over here is the man who is the architect behind it all. You didn't have that back in, you know, in the early 2000s. So, you know, Claude McLeod, like, again, when – McManaman came out and he said this thing. It was after he had left Real Madrid. People go, well, if he was so integral, why is he not there anymore? And that's how it kind of the Galacticos kind of you know fell apart because people realized, hey, the glue you sent away all the glue pieces in the, in the main architect of these of these pieces, and so all you have is a house of cards, and they all they all fell down. Yeah, and it like so when. 
Perez let Mekalele go, he kind of said, I can't even believe he said this quote, but I also can't believe he said it. Pretty much it was like, Mekalele is not going to be a miss because we're going to bring in all these youth players that are going to be so much better than him. He's not a header of the ball. He can't make a pass no more than three meters. Why is he so important? But when you go look You can at believe him, that he said that because that's exactly what he said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, <laughs> Florentino Perez is the equivalent of Jerry Jones. Like I, I I am a firm believer in this. I oh yeah, no. I mean, I'm telling you, we have to we and the thing is when you meet I've met him a, a few times in person, and he's a wonderful guy. He he's very like he understands what the business is about, he understands what he wants to do. He's very eloquent and explaining that. It's just when he gets the lights and the cameras on him, just like Jerry, he kind of goes off and he's like, this is me. This is we. I am Real Madrid and this is how it's going to go. So when he let him go, everyone was like, I mean, let's be clear. One of those guys that he did bring in like a couple years later was Sergio Ramos, who was, who was, our, who was you know, just now leaving after 16 years. But a lot of those guys that he said, yes, we'll – bring these guys and replace them. None of them are there anymore. None of them were there longer than he was there. And he was only there a couple of years. So McAuley, like literally in all the players were the ones that were kind of like, this was our guy and you let him go. And there's a reason why we're faltering in these, in these particular areas, because he was the guy that kept that all together. Yeah. Well, it's also good to see at Real Madrid, like while he was there and you can correct me on this, make sure I'm right. He won two league titles, won a Champions League, won a Super Cup. And then right after he leave, once again, you can see the fall of the Galacticos because they didn't have their glue anymore. I don't think they won another league title for, what, another three, four years? Yeah, until 2007, which was basically when Beckham had announced that he was leaving to go to the Galaxy. We ended up coming from behind and winning that year. Um, and then that, you know, a couple years later, we got Ronaldo, and then we started another era of kind of, run yeah, you know yeah. run of titles behind him but yeah once he left it was an immediate drop off to the point where there's a couple of years where people were like they may not even qualify for champions league because that middle where they were seeking answers they wanted all the forwards and all the flashy guys to go up front they didn't have anybody they had just gotten rid of fernando hierro at the same time as makalele who was the captain and star defender and then they got rid of makalele so there was no defense and they had to recreate that yeah and that's the one thing about soccer. Like, you'll always learn. Like, you were never going to win a game. You're never going to win a title without a midfield or a defense. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you need that. You can score all the goals you want to, but if you're giving up goals on the other side, it's very hard to win a title. Or if you don't have the ball, you can't score. And yeah. a good midfield will give you the ball. It's yeah. it's simple. <laughs> this game is very simple. <laughs> very simple. Very simple. So I want to ask you the question before we get into – the Chelsea part of his career. What is the difference between the Makaleli role and a Regista? Or is there a difference in between the two? I think when we talk about the Makaleli role, it's about how he played it. And I'll say this. He is the first, and I wrote this in my article a couple years ago, balance, intelligence, anticipation, strength, possession, discipline, energy. Nobody had all of that at once. He's the one, he's the first player that I, at least in my lifetime, and, you know, old heads can talk about, you know, pre night, you know, pre 1982, but he is the first one in my lifetime that combined all of those 
and made it into something that is so integral that every team tries to mimic it going forward. Every single team. So that is, that's probably the difference is that the way he did it. And again, he, he, he was playing chess out there with everyone playing checkers. He'd do the, you know, Flo said he can only pass two or three yards. Cool. He would do that all match. And then there'd be that one pass that he'd send 50 yards downfield and it'd be perfect. Everything he did was perfect. And that's, and, and if he didn't do it, he knew if he didn't do it perfectly, there were so many things around him that would fall apart. And his job was to keep it all together. And so he was able to do that match in and match out for so long. Yeah. I feel like that's probably the most important thing about him. Because in, in the role that he has, like you said, it's not the most glamorous of roles. It's not the role that <laughs> you're telling your kid at 90 years old, like, hey, you're going to play the back later role. Like, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But even him as a person, you don't. And I'm not going to say like he, he doesn't get his spots because he does. But I feel like he's almost one of these forgotten figures in history. And I feel like McAlee himself is, is okay with that. Like he's like, mm-hmm. I know how important I was to these teams. You can't, the proof is in the pudding. It showed every team that I left got worse after I left. And you, he really didn't get the shine <laughs> until he went to Chelsea because remember, yeah. No one really cared about Chelsea until, you know, when Abramovich came in, all this stuff, and he started buying a bunch of players. Everyone thought it was that. No, no. It was when McAlilly arrived because, all again, he knew you could buy as many pieces as you want, but you can't have 18 kings on the chessboard. You have to have pawns. You have to have bishops. You have to have rooks. You have to have all those guys. And he knew that he was the one that could pull all these pieces and put them in the spots that are necessary and then make it so that they look good with him just being like chilling in the cut and being like pass here, pass there, defense here, you know, giving exactly what the team needed on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. So when he makes the move to Chelsea, um, Claudio Ranieri said like pretty much we are the energizer buddy. Now we have our battery. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. when he was there, he was part of so many important teams. I mean, when Jose Mourinho came on, Jose, and this is and let me tell people for this. Jose Mourinho was it is a good is a good coach. But he was an excellent coach when he first got to Chelsea. Like the things that he were doing were pretty much you could attribute him to why the 433 is now a mainstay in English football. Because before that time it was two midfielders and that was it. It was 442 and gonna do this long ball. Josie mm-hmm. comes in, brings it to four through three. It makes McAlealy kind of like the centerpiece of that team. Where, and this is the reason why I ask you, like, is there a difference between the Regista role and the McAlealy role? Because what Josie would do with McAlealy was a lot of the time was have him be the deepest playmaker, which freed up the likes of Frank Lampard and um, Michael Essing and, and players like that. Mm-hmm. His time at Chelsea, I feel like, and like you said, like, he really did become a world house name because of how dominant those Chelsea teams were. Yep. Yeah. He, and that's the thing, right? Like again, when Mourinho came in, he was trying some outlandish stuff, right. For a coach of that time he was doing. (laughs) Now it's, it's very commonplace, but before he was, 
they called him the special one for a reason because he was trying stuff and it would work and people go, wow, how did he know that was going to work? It's because he knew he had the personnel to do it. And the personnel that he needed was, hey, Claude, this week I need you to be more of an aggressive, you know, aggressive on the, on the attack. Make sure these guys go forward. Okay. Next week, hey, these guys are going to come right at us. So I need you to, I need you to help the center backs out. I need you to st stay back a little bit on defense and play from there. Okay, cool. He's so able to adapt to any situation. But at the same time, even while he was adapting every week, you're still asking him to be himself. And I think that is something that a lot of players can't do is adapt on the fly, yet still play their game and be just just excel at it every single week. Claude was able to do that and even, even more so do it off the radar where at the end of the game, you have to have other players be like, this is the reason, this guy right here is the reason why this play even happened or this goal even happened. Yeah. So even at this time in Chelsea, like he wins two Premier League titles, an FA Cup, a League Cup, a Community Shield. Unfortunately, they did get to the Champions League fi final with um, Grant, but they miss out. We all know why John Terry misses from the penalty spot. Do you feel like, I mean, you already had one Champions League, Champions League on his CV with Real Madrid. Do you feel like a second one would have put him in a different atmosphere, or do you think it's just, Eh, he just missed out on one. It's not really going to affect how he's remembering the course of history. I mean, I feel like he would be less underrated. I think he'd still be slightly underrated, but less so because you can sit there and say, hey, he won Champions Leagues in two teams. He's won title. He's won league titles in two of the biggest leagues in the world. He almost won a World Cup title. Like, been to the Euros, whatever that is, right? All those accolades that he has, that he almost got, would have just elevated him, you know, little by little up the ladder. Uh, but now you sit there and you say, "Oh yeah, we only had one Champions League. Like how, how, you know, how important could he be?" I mean, he also laid the architect. He laid the groundwork for what Chelsea has done after that. Chelsea has modeled their whoever plays that that position now has to play like he did. Case in point, they get Conte, they start winning, they win titles again. They've just won Champions League. He's that guy playing that role again. And this, again, like we, we mentioned, the most like-minded person to what Claude McLeary provided, Chelsea now has again. And now you're seeing the success that they're having, even with guys that some people may not consider stars. Yeah. And, and that's really what this whole thing about McLeary is. Like, he is... He, he was. He was the heartbeat of those teams. He was the heartbeat of the Chelsea team, the Real Madrid team, uh, the French team when he played in. And the reason why he's so important, and I love the comparison between him and the Golden Conti is because if they have an off game or if someone takes, you know, someone beats Chelsea handily, you can almost look at their position and be like, all right, the opposition focused on them to cut out everything out. Cut mm -hmm. out everything out. It's it's one of the most beautiful things in football, how you can kind of dictate play from one position all across the board. Yeah. So, I mean, oh, you good. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the, 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 as the saying goes, cut off the head of the snake and the body will wither. Take the, take the snake's heart. The body will die. And so some people will go, Hey, this, you know, McAuley here, if we can stop him from doing what he does best, not, it doesn't matter what any of these stars do because they're not going to be able to do it without him. So uh, when those teams focused in on them, Chelsea, Real Madrid, whoever had bad nights, 
France would have a bad night. But if they weren't able, and the the worst part of it when you're the opposition is a lot of them did focus in on him, and he still got his points. He still got his racks off all the time. And I know that frustrated people because they're like, man, we're letting this guy beat us. And because of that, these four guys behind us are scoring goals. This guy right here, it, you know, the goalkeeper has a clean shirt because he hasn't he hasn't had to do anything. And it's frustrating because they can center around one guy. The team knows it. The opposition knows it. And yet no one was able to stop him. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, so another fact, in his international career, he never scored a goal for France. Mm-hmm. Which is, which is, weird. he never had you, to. Yeah, yeah, but you would think he would at least have one, just like one out, out of something. But that's who, that, like you said, like that's not who he was. Like he knew, eh, I'm not the best shooter. Let me pass it to Henri. Let him rip it for twenty yards. Yeah, I think he. I think what he, in his career, he like his club career, he played 800 matches. That's a lot. He scored 25 goals. And that was probably like a lot of punch-ins and stuff like that, where it was just like a bunch of guys in the box. And he was like, okay, it's on my foot. I guess I'll kick it. And it goes in. But it's not like he was sitting there teeing up from 45 and and cranking them or like taking PKs or free kicks. He was just the guy that like, if the ball came to him and they're like, hey, you know, it's my job to punch it in at this point, he'll do it. But, But if not, he was able to find other guys whose job it was to score goals. Yeah. So before we wrap on that, let's talk about it. Like, why is he so important to black soccer culture? Like, why is it important to have the McAlealy role in black soccer culture? Why is it important for black support, black fans to know about the Claude McAlealy role? So we'll start with this. How many black people have have something named after them in soccer? Very few. But when you talk about the Makalele role, everyone knows exactly what you're talking about. They're step one right there. The man has left a legacy to the point where the position will forever be defined by how he played it. And we see a lot of guys now coming up. I mean, even in the United States, where's the one place where we have a log jam of people? It's at that role. Tyler Adams is locking that down for the next decade. And even if you don't have him... The, the guy that kind of box the box that kind of pairs off of him and kind of is the is the uh you know Robin to Batman. You have Weston McKinney who's sitting there who could go forward, he could come back, and when Tyler Adams is not in the game, he trends back and kind of plays more of that role as well. So he's able to do it. You have Eunice Musa who could also do that role. So I mean, even in the United States, these you know, these young kids are looking at that and they're looking at what he brought to the table and let them know, like, hey. To get back to where we need to go, you're going to have to play in the weeds sometime. You're playing in CONCACAF. You're playing around the world against teams that are just going to you know, kick at your legs, whatever. But if you have an architect of the team, if you have someone that's so important that taking them out drastically changes your team, then you know you've made it. And those, like that's what McAlele has brought to everyone. And I see that with – you know. You see that a lot with the African teams that are coming up that are being really successful. Senegal has a couple of guys that kind of play like him. But every, you know, everyone talks about Mane, but Mane knows he's not getting the ball on the left wing unless his, his, unless his boys are in the middle are doing what they need to do to make sure the ball goes forward and to make sure that it stays out of their net. They have those guys. You have you know 
players all around the world are looking to, you know, a guy from DR Congo who grew up in France and changed the, just the complexion of how the game is played, not just at that position, but because that position exists, like you said, the 4-3-3 is now the preferred lineup for teams that have superstars, for teams that need that person in the middle to be able to make things go. It's no longer a 4-4-2. 4-3-3 is the preferred, co- preferred formation, and it's because he excelled so well in that role that people are now trying to make sure they have someone on the team that plays like him. Wow. Well, there you have it, man. That's why Carl McAllen is so important to the culture. You know? So, once again, Donald, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on to this episode and doing this with me, man, because this is one that we've been wanting to do for a while. Who better to do it than the free arbitrator expert himself? Yeah, man, I appreciate the invitation. And uh, officially, we can say this, since it's now a federal holiday, happy Juneteenth weekend uh, and a happy one-year anniversary to the Can I Kick It FC podcast because uh, it's one of my favorite podcasts. I remember when you first started. I remember you, we having these talks about how you were going to kind of incorporate this, and a year later, it's been super successful. So keep keep going up and up, my dude. Uh, thank you so much, man. Yo, real quick, I just want to give you a shout out because you started your own podcast as well. So for those who don't know, Donald is not only the face of U.S. soccer for fans, he is a great writer for Stars of Stripes FC. He also has a new podcast, World of CONCACAF. Can you tell the listeners yes. about that? What is that all about? By the way, it is a great, great listen for those who not only want to know. For me personally, like it's a great listen for me because I want to know more about the other teams in CONCACAF as mm-hmm. a fan of the reggae boys and girls. I want to know about more about these other teams, more about these other countries. You guys do a great job of that. So can you tell the listeners more about that? Yeah, that's really the focus. I mean, a lot of American podcasts focus on American soccer. Obviously, Stars and Stripes FC, I do that as well. But for World of CONCACAF, we wanted to tap into this quacky region that we live in, that is CONCACAF. All of the different teams that exist, what they are doing. Uh, we, we talk a little bit about traveling to these city or to these countries and, and what it's like to be a part of that culture. We'll go through each single uh country throughout the you know once we get done with that we'll probably just loop back around and start over but we also do some of the news of uh of CONCACAF not just United States soccer team news or not just Mexico but we talk about Anguilla we talk about Trinidad Tobago we talk about Curacao we talk about you know El Salvador and just what those teams are doing how they've gotten to their point how they hit because a lot of the history of CONCACAF is really long and on the women's side is actually very short. So we highlight that those discrepancies as well and those gaps. So I, I think that's kind of where you get to learn. You'll learn a little bit about a country. You'll learn a little about the culture, the food, the language, what it's like to be there. And then also you get the soccer as well. So it's a lot of fun. World of CONCACAF podcast, uh, very, very brand new. We just released an episode uh, this past week on the Nations League. And we obviously have more coming as we get towards World Cup qualifying. Where, where, where. Well, as always, listeners, you can follow the podcast, our podcast, at C-I-K-I-F-C. That's my first time ever saying it out loud in person. Um, on Twitter, we are also part of the Two Spence Family Network as well, so make sure you go support those guys. Go support Donald. It's Juneteenth. Go support a part business. Just 
you know, support black people. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Too. I like, I like, I like how you said that. Just support us. That's, that's all we yeah, do. Just, just support us. Um, but once again, man, Donald, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day for coming on the show, man. And appreciate as listeners, it. appreciate you having I'll me on. See you guys later. Of course, man. Love. You.